have your Bible, let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. How many of you feel that way? That you want to take his word, hide it in your heart that you won't sin against God. I know for myself, every week when I get into the word of God, the word starts to convict me and starts to change me and mold me and reshape me and remake me and make me feel guilty. And uh, so (laughs) I thought I'd throw that in there. Wow. But one thing that we want is that we hide his word in our hearts, that we won't sin against him, that that the word becomes real and we, we sense it in our walk, we sense it in our talk, we sense it in our daily life. Children, you are dismissed to head back to, to, to Children's Chapel this morning. Uh, we'll be reading out of the text, 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. And ever since there's been a post office, it seems that children have written letters to God. And here's just a few of them. A little girl named Jane wrote, in Sunday school, they told us what you do, Jesus. So what do you do when you are on vacation? Another girl, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy. Nan observed, I bet it is very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. Norma asked, did you mean for giraffes to look like that? Or was it an accident? Here's another letter. Nikki said, Dear God, if you watch in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes. Another child, I read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said, You did it. I bet he stole your idea. Sincerely, Donna. Larry says, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill each other so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. I I like that one. And my favorite, dear God, I think about you sometimes even when I'm not praying. Wow. When children write letters like that, they reveal what we call a childlike faith. They may not understand the things about life that goes on around them, but they never doubt that God is there and that he cares for them. But as we get older, things change. Life can disappoint us. Dreams get damaged. We experience pain and loss and rejection. More importantly, people hurt us. When things like that happen, we tend to lose the innocence and trust we had as children. That's why Peter wrote to adult Christians in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Last week we started the series called Be Still and Know. Be still and know that I am God. You see, as Christians, we need to focus on the faith we had as children because God hasn't changed. He's still the same God we knew as children and He still cares for us. Today we're introduced to a man who was one of the great men of faith in the Bible. Why do I say that here in 1 Kings? Because he performed miracles, brought the dead back to life, ascended into heaven in a fiery chariot. And to this day, Jews speak of him with reverence as the most prominent prophet of the Old Testament era. But just like you and I, he was just a man. 
who struggled with this idea that God cared for him. So let's read in 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 18. It says here, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. When he saw that he arose and went for his life, he fled. Came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. But he himself went a day's journey to the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. The Bible also says the broom tree in some translations. It says under the shade tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And as he laid there and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and on a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights into Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What does, why are you here, Elijah? Thank you for getting rid of that bus in verse 10. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In verse 11, he says, Then he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, rent the mountains, and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. But after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. A still small voice. A still small voice. A gentle whisper was heard. In verse 13, it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What do you do here, Elijah? Why are you here? And he said, I have been very jealous of the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altars and slain the prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return, go back. On the way to the wilderness of Damascus, when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphath, of Abimelamahola, I figured I'd just add that in there, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall do... Thanks, Mom, for naming me Todd. That was real easy. And him that escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, 
all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. There is so much in this text, it can wear me out immediately. But there's so much to learn today that I, I want to cover this and, and, and ask God to continue to, to guide and direct us. Just days before the part where we were reading here, Elijah had preached one of the greatest sermons of his life. He had confronted 400 prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel and exposed them as the false prophets that they were. And because of Elijah's faith and obedience, God sent fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice Elijah had placed on the altar. Then a few hours later, God sent a downpour of rain on a land that hadn't had rain for three years because God had brought judgment on the land of Israel and upon the evil king and queen who ruled it. Now, these were exciting days for Elijah, but not everybody was pleased by what Elijah did that day. One of the people were upset was the queen. Her name was Jezebel. She was furious. Elijah had embarrassed her, and of course, he'd also killed her favorite hand-picked pagan priest. So she was out for blood. One person's blood. Elijah's blood. And she sends Elijah a message that essentially said, by that time tomorrow, he'd be dead. And everybody knows Jezebel's good for that because she's killed off a lot of the prophets of God she was out for blood so we jump over here that was in verse 8 that was in chapter 18 now we're in chapter 19 and we start to notice through this text that elijah runs away he escapes the pressure the anxiety of what is being said about him after all he saw god from heaven shoot down fire consume up the whole altar, the sacrifice that was there, and yet he starts to run away. He runs away like a dog with its tail between its legs. He runs, and he runs, and he runs until he's so exhausted that he just collapses under the broom tree. When I started doing some study last night, I was in my office and some things, I'm like, so why is it that in the New American Standard Bible and the NIV and all these other things call it the broom tree or the shade tree? Because the word actually means, ready? Just enough. Just enough. You know, it's interesting how the Bible always breaks down some words, and, and so you have to sometimes understand why they kept re referring to it in the Bible. I'm like, how is this applicable to us? Because when things get hard and they become rough for us, we run, don't we? We run to a place that's almost like hide-and-go-seek, where we don't think anybody can see us, and when we're so consumed with depression, discouragement, defeat, we'll find a hole somewhere to go to and we think nobody can see us. But the God of enough shows up in our trials and our tribulations. You see, right at that moment, here was Elijah, one of the greatest prophets. And he was running. He was running because he feared for his life. 
hold on, it was okay up to this point, right? Because he felt like the, the, the power and anointing of God was upon him. Well, in this day's journey, he finds a place of solitude and goes and God shows up just in time. And he just lies there. He was embarrassed and yet he was cowardice. And all he wants to do is die. Yet Elijah, this great man of the faith, the man of miracles and of great deeds, lost his childlike faith that God really cared for him. Now, in the book of James, we're told that Elijah was a man just like us. He was just like you. And he was just like me. Now, granted, he did things you and I could only dream of doing. The miracles, the raising of the dead, etc. And the list can go on and on. But he was still governed by the same kinds of passions and emotions that all of us have. And that's something that God wants us to remember. You see, God could have just told us the cool stuff in Elijah's life, the miracles, the battles he waged, and the prayers that God had answered. But no, God also saw fit to include the story of this great man, becoming so afraid that he ran for his life. One of the reasons God included this part of Elijah's story in the Bible is because we need to realize that God cared for him just like he cared for us. Notice what God does, first of all, for Elijah. It says here in in the book, And Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. It says, And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Think about this. Elijah has lost his faith, and he's very verbal about the idea that he doesn't think God cares anymore and that God has lived up to his part of the bargain. Some might think that God would be upset with what or with that and tell Elijah, what's wrong with you? Where's your faith? Get up on your feet and act like a man. Become a man. Come on, you've got this. Is that what God did? No, he didn't. Instead, God sends an angel to make sure he has food and drink. And then again, he lets Elijah go back to sleep. Then the angel returns a second time to feed him. So what's going on here? What's happening? Why would God just step back and do nothing? Why didn't God try to reason with Elijah and give him a lesson of faith? Why just let him sleep? Well, God did that because that's what Elijah needed. There's times we don't need answers. Times we don't need theology. Times when explanations are worse than worthless. Sometimes what we need is just to back off. We need rest. Isn't that true? As I was looking at this passage, it seemed like Elijah ran because he panicked. So I did an internet search about panic, and this is what I found. Panic attacks are periods of extreme fear that cause physical symptoms such as racing of your heart, sweating, or trembling. Panic attacks are often also accompanied by a feeling of an impending threat of harm or even death. 
So how do you deal with pain? Well, according to the Mayo Clinic, one of the ways to deal with it is make sleep a priority. I know for myself, I feel like when I'm, uh, seriously, when you guys are tired, do you feel like the next day, like everything just bothers you? You just feel like your whole body's sluggish and, you, and everything's just annoying and then you're irritable and things start to happen in your life and you, there's, there is a sense of panic and anxiety. Another source said that not getting enough sleep is amongst the things that can trigger or worsen anxiety. So God gave Elijah what he needed, time to rest, time to sleep. Why? Because God cared for Elijah. He wanted him to rest. Man, I love rest. Do you guys like to rest? And I'll tell you, I mean, I love bedtime now. Oh, I just love to sleep. No wonder after you live so many years of your life, you just want to die. I mean, I get it. Let's just rest forever. Sleep is so awesome. I love sleep. Telling you. I, exactly. 20 minute power naps will help you not to have an anxiety attack. It does me. You know when your body says, go to sleep? It's telling you, go find a place of solitude and rest. So you run to the shade tree. I don't know where that's at. It might be on your recliner, it might be in your den, it might be, I don't know, underneath a tree. Not in this weather, but, you know, I, I like to go up to my bed, get in my position, looking like I'm dead, go to sleep for 20 minutes. Wake back up and feel refreshed. And that's no joke, right? I, I know. I can't stand it. Ooh, the mobility class is working out. See, I can cross my legs again. And uh, <laughs> the sleep wasn't, wasn't going to be enough. Sleep alone was not going to take care of the fundamental problem that caused Elijah's anxiety. Elijah desperately needed to know that God cared for him. Now watch. Now, that may seem odd for Elijah, this great man of faith and this great man of miracles. To have the crisis of faith. But we need to remember that he was a man just like us. We oftentimes think that when people, a pastor, he's not like us. And the pastors that have fallen throughout our generations and decades, we look at them and like, well, what, what was his deal? What happened to him? Well... Because we forgot that he was a man just like us. God called him, but he deals with the same humanistic feelings and emotions that each and every one of us face. He was just, Elijah was just going through a crisis of faith. But we need to remember that he was a man just like us. He had experienced God's power and he had experienced God's influence. But in the face of of the very real threat. Elijah had forgotten all that God had done for him in the past, and now he was frozen in faithlessness that threatened to destroy him. And what was causing this crisis of faith for Elijah were two lies. And these two lies had convinced him that God didn't care anymore for him. Here's the first lie. The first lie was this. Elijah thought that God needed him. So Elijah said, God needs me. Elijah had come to believe that he was indispensable to God. Then our text today, God asked Elijah in, in verse 10, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, I'm the only one that's left, and they seek my life to take it away. So what is Elijah saying? He was saying 
I'm the only one who stands in the gap. I'm important. If something happens to me, well, God, you're going to be in trouble. Essentially, Elijah was telling God that he was indispensable. Notice this. Kind of reminds me of this true story of a preacher was teaching a children's Sunday school class. He was teaching them about the 23rd Psalm, and he had spent a lot of time talking about sheep. What they were like, how they ate, how they interacted with the shepherd, and so on. Then he pointed out that the kids in the class who were Christians were kind of like that. Sheep of the flock. Then he asked, if you are sheep, then who is the shepherd? Now in that church, they referred to preachers as pastors. Which is another word for shepherd. And so he was expecting the kids to say that he was the shepherd of the flock. But apparently he failed to set the question up properly. And one little boy answered his question. Jesus is the shepherd. Now that shocked the preacher. Well, because it was true. And he was so flustered, he almost couldn't help himself. So he blurted out, well, then who am I? And the little boy said, well, I guess you must be the sheepdog. You see, Elijah had come to the conclusion that he was an important man. God needed him. God didn't have anybody else to rely on. But God set him straight. He says in verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, Elijah, you're not the one left. And I do have a backup plan. You see, I'm the shepherd. You're my sheepdog. That just put it all in the reference for me. <laughs> but anyway, but Elijah had forgotten that. He had forgotten who God was, and he had forgotten who he was. Think about that. And when we forget that God is the shepherd and we're the sheepdog, we can tend to get depressed because we will begin to believe that everything depends on us. In our lives, in our families, in our jobs, and here even at New Hope in our church. We forget to trust God and believe success is totally dependent upon our efforts. And when things don't go right, we can be overwhelmed because faith has centered and we're centered on ourselves. And you see, when our faith and our focus is centered on us, we'll be disappointed. The outcome won't be good. We can't do it all by ourselves, and any, any, any effort based on that concept is doomed to lead us to anxiety, to depression, and to even panic. So that was the first lie that God needed, Elijah. Any of us can fall into the same trap. We just need to remember that God doesn't need you or me to get things done. He just allows us to come along for the ride so we can sense the thrill of his power and love. Isn't that awesome? But Elijah had bought into a second lie that was just as bad. The second lie is actually summed up in a popular saying, and I'll quote the first half of it for you, and I'll have the rest of you complete it. God helps those who... Now, don't ever quote that as if, as if it were true. Whoa. Because it's not. It's totally false. It's unbiblical. It's heresy. 
If God helped those who helped themselves, Judas would be a patron saint of something. Judas helped himself a lot, but he was nowhere near being a good example for it. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who obey him and follow him. I'll repeat that again. He helps those who obey him and follow him. But in that false teaching that God helps those who help themselves is the deceptive implication that if I do my part, God has to do his. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing the little things that we're taught and the things that we say that is, it's so misconstrued. It's kind of like an unwritten contract. I did my thing, now God owes me. But if God doesn't do what I want him to do, when I want to do it, it's obvious that he doesn't care, doesn't have the power to do so to protect me. So here's what Elijah's thoughts are here. He thought his victory against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel had been the knockout blow for King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. I don't know if you've ever seen a boxing match, but every once in a while, an inexperienced boxer can throw his best punch and drop his opponent to the mat. Only to see the other boxer leap back to his feet and come back to life like he'd never been touched. That's what happened to Elijah. He had thrown his best Sunday punch thinking this would end the conflict for all time. But apparently someone got Jezebel. Jezebel comes back at him with a serious threat. She's a scary woman and she put a number of God's prophets to death and now she has threatened him. As a result, Elijah began to doubt God's power. So God says, hey, Elijah. Hey, Elijah, let me show you something. And in verses 11 and 12, it says, The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces. The rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a What did he see here? That adversity brings stability. That adversity brings advantage. Say this with me. Adversity brings advantage. We think, I hate adversity. I hate when things go wrong. I hate when the struggles of my life, I can't deal with it. But if you want to see God's hand real in your life, Say, thank you, Lord, for the adversity because you got some things going on and I'm going to take advantage of the victory. See, we get so hung up on the hurts and the pain that we forget what God's trying to do in your life and through your life. You receive that this morning? You see, God is saying two things here to Elijah. First, God was saying, not only am I big enough to tear this mountain apart, I'm big enough to take out Jezebel anytime I please. It's just that your calendar and my calendar aren't on the same page. I can and I will take care of Jezebel when I'm ready. I'm just not ready yet. But when God is ready, you wouldn't want to be on his bad side. Even Thomas Jefferson not a particularly religious man, noted, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot be destroyed. 
So there was this massive wind and an earthquake and then fire followed by the sound of a very gentle whisper. A very low whisper. What's that all about? Well, too often people view God as a harsh and unsympathetic to their needs. They see him as swift and as powerful and merciless in judgment. Like what was symbolized by the wind, earthquake, and the fire. But notice, God wasn't in those things. God was in the whisper. God was in the stillness. God was in the gentleness right there. And that's how he got Elijah's attention. The whisper was like the soft voice of a parent who'd child comes to him with an, a hurt or a pain or an allergy, looking for comfort and healing. The whisper was God's way of saying, I understand and I care and I will take care of you. I'm here for you. Oh, pastor, this is Old Testament. And, but in this series of being still and listening to God, I want you to know it was in that quiet moment. It didn't have to, something didn't have to be earth shaking and, and moving all around us. It's in these moments that we see and we sense the power of Almighty God. I'm going to bring this to you right now. Just like Elijah, you are waiting for God to show up and he is waiting for you to grow up. Hmm. Well, let me repeat that for you. You're waiting for God to show up and he is waiting for you to grow up. So let's turn in our Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Oh, but I've already arrived. Did you know I'm a big deal? You are a big deal. But next to God, he's taking you through some of the adversity so that you'll see the advantage of it later on. And that's what was happening here in this text. But I like what it says here in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. And he said... To thee, my grace is sufficient for you. So look to the person next to you and say, grace is for you. Grace is for you. Here's what he said. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory my infirmities in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and weaknesses and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So it says here in this text, before I start winding down this message, it says here that the power of Almighty God would be upon you. He says, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Why is it that we always think that we're so strong in the Lord and it's in those moments that we're clear up here that all of a sudden you realize just how weak you are. But we have to realize that even in Elijah's life where he felt this sense of, of 
you know what? I just want to run away. God, where are you? That he said, hold on a minute. Let me show you something. I'm here for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I'll make you perfect in your weakness. So here he is. Now, you know what I think is kind of profound? If you look at that text, so he traveled to the wilderness. But yet, he traveled, how many days did it say in the text? For 40. 40 days. And then God shows up and tells him to go back. 40 days. I looked on the map last evening. It was, it was quite a job. It was quite a journey. You ever see the correlation in Scripture? 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40, 40. All through Scripture. 40 here, 40 there. Noah, Abraham, Jonah. I mean, there's 40 that's, that's referenced all the time in Scripture. You know what that is? It's the time of trials and of testing. God could have used Abraham at 40, but he used him at 80. He had to go 40 years. So I realize that I'm at 15, and all I've got is how many years left? 25 till I hit 40. How old will I be? Can you all open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7? That's what <laughs> But I won't be bent over like this. I'll be standing tall because I go to the mobility class. You ought to try it. See? I'm just trying to put plugs in for you. And so we, we see here in the text that it's during those 40 days that trial and tribulations come. Why is it that you always go to God and you ask Him to answer prayer right now? See, if adversity brings advantage, then rest in the fact that God is with you. Are you with Him? And so I said here, if you're waiting for God to show up and He is waiting for you to grow up, then grow up. Get your act together, church. Turn your face from this wicked world. Seek His face. And then you'll hear from heaven. And the Bible says then He'll heal the land. Oh, but the children of Israel, how many years did they wander? Oh, there it is again. Going through the trials and tribulations over and over and over. And so He said, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to show you how real I am. Adversity brings advantage. And Elijah needed to realize that the greater the assignment, greater the assistance. I know you're writing this down, so I'll do it again. Adversity brings advantage. Elijah needed to realize that the greater the assignment, greater the assistance. See, God gives us big things, church. I love big assignments. When people told me, you will never make it. No, I won't. Thank you. I'm just the sheepdog. Fifteen years later, we're still here. You're still here. I was talking to, to the, the kitchen crew, the pancake club. The, uh, and, and I just want to say thanks to all of you that came out. I, we appreciate it. We appreciate the pancakes. Let's just give them a, a praise this morning. And we see, in, we see in our lives that there are some big obstacles. People say, you'll never move into Riverside Drive. Okay. You know what a big deal my God is? So I, I did some thinking about this. And I said, God, it's so true. You gave me a great, big, huge assignment. But I knew that you'd come through with assistance. So when you realize that greater the assignment is greater the assistance, you start to see that God takes care of you in any of your adversity, any of your pain, 
any of the shock that you have to go through. Panic attacks are real. So here at New Hope, and if this is your first time here, welcome to New Hope. But your pastor is very transparent. I hope this brings you back. Hi, my name is Todd, and I have irritable bowel syndrome. Are you really going to talk about that in the pulpit? I am right now. Here's what happens. Now, okay, where are we going to go from point A to point B? Honey, I need you to do something for me. If we fly, I need you to fly in the evening. I can't fly in the morning because if I fly in the morning, I have to go to the bathroom. If I don't go to the bathroom, then I'm going to have an anxiety attack. And once panic starts to set in, I'm going to be jumping out of the window of the vehicle, rolling down a hill into snow to use the restroom. And then once I jump out the window, roll down the hill in snow, I then realize that I need something that's very valuable to everybody. Toilet paper. And I peek over the hill. And I'm looking for my wife. And I yell, could you bring me some toilet paper? How is this? I just told you, you'll come back, I hope. Anyhow, and, and so she in her heels doing one of these numbers up on the turnpike as we're going to the Casting Crowns concert. The problem was she made it down there and all was better. But it was very cold. I just want to tell you guys that because it was this time of the year and it was a lot of snow and it was catastrophic. But anyhow, um, I, I will tell you as she chucks the TP my way and... All was good. But the problem was I panicked. And when you panic, if you have what I have dealt with, which I'm now more controlled, I have a great trainer that tells me not to eat sugar, watch the glutens, and just starve yourself for the rest of your life. I say, good, I will never have to go to the bathroom. I love my mobility class. See, I'm just, yeah, I'm practicing. I just throw these things in the message. Here's what I noticed that as soon as panic starts to set in, I lose all control. Literally. Right? How many of you have ever had anxiety? And it's something we all deal with. You know what? I, I had a lady here just a couple weeks ago who stopped by the church and she's like, I'm really a quiet person. And I could tell that she was really nervous. But I wanted to check out your church. And I wanted to find out a little bit about your church. And I, I, just, I just really, 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 I really needed to come here today. And I think that's great. She faced the adversity in her life. She faced the panic in her life. And as I close, I realized that in the midst of my anxiety, in the, midst, in the midst of my panic, in the midst of the struggle that is real for all of us, we do something that I think we can all say. We ask God to take it away. God, help me. So how does God do that? Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to panic. Start controlling it. You know, Elijah should have said at that moment, well, I know my God. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going right back there. And that's exactly what he did. So we see that Elijah, then who does he, he takes off his cloak and he hands it to Elisha. And he says, I want you to do the next bit of work. And God showed up and he went into heaven in a, fiery chariot. But in the midst of our panic and, and distress, church, listen closely. Watch what you do. I 
I monitor where I go and what I do and who I ride with and all that stuff because I realize that, that I start to have anxiety and panic starts to set in. So I have to be very careful, and, and I need to be in control of that, but more importantly, I need him to be more in control of me, and I need to rest in him and trust in him. The whisper, the still voice, that still small voice reminds me of the story of an incident back in 2003. There was a 13-year-old girl named Natalie Gilbert who was scheduled to perform the national anthem at the NBA basketball game. She had a beautiful voice and had sung the anthem at numerous other public events in the past. But as she began to sing the familiar words of the Star-Spangled Banner, she froze. The words couldn't come to her. And so she stood silent, shocked, and facing the humiliation of being in front of a live TV audience. Not able to even sing that one familiar song that all of us have sung since we were in, in elementary school. Just then, the coach of the Portland Trailblazers, Maurice Cheeks, walked up beside her. He put his arm around her shoulders and began to whisper the words into her ear. And when that didn't completely help, he began to sing along with her and used his right hand to invite the watching fans to join her in the song. As one early morning news show noted, a little girl, an off-key coach, and 20,000 people finished it together. When we think we're so important that God can only use us, he has 20,000 more people to sing the Star-Spangled Banner. And when my life is over, my calling here at this church is over, he has other men of God, women of God, that will step up to the plate and take care of what he started, his bride and his church. I want you to watch this video. It was very endearing for me, and I said in my office, I didn't watch it once, I watched it three times. Because I thought, wow, this is how we all should be in the moment of panic and anxiety and despair. Watch closely. Salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem. Please welcome, as voted by you, the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert.
You know, what happened that night was a coach caring so much for a scared little girl that he whispered the words she needed to hear in the ear. He later commented, I just didn't want her to be out there all alone. Isn't that amazing? And all the fans came together and they rallied round together. We have something Elijah did not. We have the same still voice whispering in our ear from a God who cares deeply about us. But Elijah couldn't look upon God. But we can. And God took on flesh and died on the cross for us and rose from the grave in victory. We can now look upon the face of Jesus and know He cares for us. As Hebrews 12.2 declares, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what can we learn today from this story? We can learn from the story that the greater the assignment, the greater the assistance. Listen and respond. Jesus loves you. And knows you. Let's all stand and pray. God, we come before you today, Lord, and realizing sometimes we feel like our journeys are by ourselves. But God, just like that coach stepped up to assist that young lady, it may be from 2003, but God, we, we see the correlation in those moments of shame and humiliation and a panic of anxi anxiety. You show up and you calm us. You give us peace that passes all understanding. So God, help us to hear you. The small, still voice. The whisper that brings peace, direction, and guidance in our life. So God, I thank you for this church family. And in the midst of our pain and suffering, we come together to bring hope, healing, uplift one another in prayer. God, I'm even reminded right now of, of Kayla's dad. and Lord, he's in heaven with you. And the pain and suffering, anxiety that the family's facing right now, the turmoil, the loss of her father, is of a sibling, a brother. God, we know that on this life, we face many trials and, and tribulations. There was hardships in that man's life, but God, we thank you that you brought peace. And a man that was an atheist came to know who you were. Wouldn't pick up a Bible, but left this world with a deteriorated, torn up Bible with scribble marks, things that were highlighted because he had a relationship with you. 
So, God, we thank you for that movement that took place no matter where it was at, that you brought him to a place where he was before you on his knees. So, God, bring us all to the shade tree so that we can hear from you. Give us food to help us face sometimes these journeys that seem alone. So God, if the world be against us, we know that you're for us. Speak to the hearts and souls of your church and of your people that we may come together as one in unity and in love. Father, thank you for your word today. And Father, we realize that you've given us some great assignments, but thank you for your greatest assignment. May you get the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.